0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So, whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet, it's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
1: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708 478 6090. The Black Hawk in Oakland, the South Suburbs' finest casual upscale dining. And Marishka's in Crest Hill, family owned and operated since 1933. Let's drop the postseason puck.
2: Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Naveau. It's not even
0: so much me as it's
2: Ronick. He's good. And 670, the scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski.
1: You don't play this game with a big heart and a big bag of knuckles in front of the net. You don't got Dinky Doo. Welcome into
2: the first in postseason edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago and The Athletic Chicago. With me, as always, only in spirit this time, not in person, unfortunately, the one, the only, the ready for the weekend, Jay Zawoski. Jay, what a week it has been. How are you preparing to spend your next two days?
1: Uh, There is a pizza order going into Aurelio's right now, Uh, and as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'll be stuffing my face full of it and then enjoying the warm weather. Tomorrow I have my event with Albert Elmora at Sports Corner after the Cubs game. So if you're at the Cubs game tomorrow, that would be Saturday, the fifteenth. Stop by Sports Corner and come meet Albert Elmora and me. I'll also be there, but no one will care.
2: <laughs> that's but that's I, I sad have tickets to the
1: game and I have tickets to the game. I invited you to come, and you have to work like some kind of sucker.
2: Yep, like some kind of adult. I have to work. Yeah, it's. That time of year where usually I'm off on Fridays and Saturdays, like those are my days off now that I'm Mr. you know important full-time guy at NBC, but mm-hmm. unfortunately with the Blackhawks playing tomorrow, I don't exactly get the option to be off of work. So I I do have to go into the office tomorrow and to make it even better, after about 6:30, I'm going to be by myself for the first time on the web desk. So if the Pope decides that gay marriage is okay tomorrow night, guess what? I get to write about it.
1: I would doubt that's going to happen on Easter Eve. He's got some other things going on, so uh, look for that uh, another day. I don't think it'll be tomorrow. Anyway, more <laughs> important things to get to. Uh, the Blackhawks, they lost one nothing last night. And, um, you know, I'm not going to – I want to say one thing. I'm very pleased at the lack of panic that I've seen from the Hawks fans. In years past, the Hawks would get down at one game and people would start to freak out. I have have not seen very much of that. Have you?
2: I really haven't, no. Like, I, I kind of went over to the sports desk last night um, while the game was going on, and I just kind of was asking the producers, I was like, is there really anything that the Blackhawks, like, need to change? Like, is there, like, anything that they're doing, like, particularly wrong? And the answer, it seemed like, was no, just kind of, keep doing what you're doing and eventually the goals are going to come because the way Nashville played last night like they play like that the rest of the series the Blackhawks are going to win because you can't keep playing that protection style and expect it to work so I think a lot of Blackhawks fans and I was a maybe a little bit surprised by this because I think like as a fan your default reaction is always to be like oh god they didn't score we're all doomed yada yada That did not seem to be the default reaction of Blackhawks fans last night. And I have to give them a good amount of credit for really keeping their heads about them and keeping their wits about them. I was really impressed.
1: Well, I think watching that game, and aside from the really lame start the Blackhawks had, uh, it was pretty clear to see that they were the better team uh, for, let's see, I would say the first five minutes the Hawks had the edge. Then Nashville scored, carried it on to the end of the first period. And then the second and third, especially the second was all blackhawks and yeah they weren't able to put the puck in the net those sort of things happen uh and we've talked about this all the time how hockey's a game of inches and a bounce here or a deflection there can be the difference between winning and losing and i think that was sort of the case last night i would like to see them generate a few more high danger scoring chances they only had eight last night nashville had seven and they were playing to prevent most of the game so i'd like to see the hawks get some more dangerous scoring chances but all in all they were the better team they deserved to win they won in all the possession numbers they won in shots they won in shots on goal shot attempts they won in face-offs so pretty much every category except the final score the Blackhawks led in so um to me that's encouraging it was a little bit more of a, another lackadaisical playoff start like we've seen from the Hawks over the last few years but nothing I saw last night tells me that the Nashville predators are better than the blackhawks i just don't see it
2: well i mean i think we could both agree that going into this series we kind of knew that it was going to be closely matched right like we kind of knew that nashville yeah they were the fourth seed in the central division but in reality they're a very solid hockey team they're a very deep hockey team i feel like a lot of times people kind of get distracted by some of the star power names, like guys like PK Subban, guys like Philip Forsberg, guys like James Neal, Pekka Rene, they kind of look at those guys and they kind of ignore the fact that they've got some really good complementary players. You know, if you could be a complementary player, I guess you should say, when you score I think 31 goals like Victor Arvidsson did, but he honestly, like, that guy is a revelation for the Predators. Like, I don't think anybody saw him coming into the league and doing what he's doing, and that goal that he had last night, he really took advantage of, I think, a miscue by Duncan Keith, who kind of got, like, entranced by the puck a little bit and pulled up into the slot a little bit, and it allowed Victor Arvidsson just a wide open lane to get in front of the net and pull off a really nifty deflection on a shot from Philip Forsberg. That, to me, was a designed play, and they took advantage of a breakdown by the Blackhawks defense, and honestly, all credit to Nashville for being able to do stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it was a hell of a play. And it's funny, you know, Arvidsson, a very similar story to Richard Panic. you know, a guy who um, has a lot of skill but spent most of his career kind of bouncing up and down. When he was up, he was all over the lines, not getting a ton of minutes. When he finally was given his opportunity to contribute, um, he was able to put up, what, 31 goals this year, including being their best player on the ice last night. It's a really nice player. And it goes to show you that sometimes all these prospects need – is a chance to thrive, and he got it. Richard Panic got it for the Blackhawks, and you see two guys who were, I don't, I don't think Arvidsson was as written off as Panic was, um, but you see a guy emerge with with a chance, and sometimes that's all it takes. But um, yeah, they are a good team. You're right, and there is a chance they could win this series for sure. Hell, I picked them to win the Stanley Cup early on in the season. Um, they got off to a slow start. The Hawks were better than I expected, so I changed my pick um, during the playoffs. But uh, I think the Nashville Predators pose the toughest challenge to the Blackhawks in the Western Conference. I really do. Matchup-wise, personnel-wise, I think once the Hawks or if the Hawks are able to get past Nashville, um, they're going to have an easier path um, with St. Louis or Minnesota and then whoever comes out uh, out west. I think the Hawks are facing their toughest task right now.
2: And Do you think that's a good thing for them, being the last couple of playoffs? It's really seemed like they've kind of gotten off to – a sluggish start, do you think it's a good thing for them that they're kind of facing this like tough opposition early on instead of having to kind of wait until later in the playoffs, as you saw in, say, 2013-2014 when they had to wait until the conference final to get their first real test against a team like the Los Angeles Kings? Do you think that benefits them?
1: Uh, it certainly could. I mean, I think last night's game, in fact, can kind of benefit them. I, I read Barry Rosner's column this morning saying how the locker rooms were you know the predators were celebrating and the hawks room was very quiet and to me that indicates that they're a pissed off team and they feel like one got away uh, and the earlier that wake-up call can come for a team that is known to coast sort of early on in the playoffs i think it could be a good thing so i i, I don't want to say i'm happy they lost but uh to get the this one out of the way um and to get that sluggish start out of the way um, i think it can get them sort of an extra jump intercept But one thing i notice And I don't know if it's just because we watch Hawks games differently than we watch other playoff games, but the Hawks games never seem to have the intensity of the other games I'm watching, where, you know, the puck drops and both teams are playing incredibly physically, fast-paced, and maybe it's the Hawks experience, maybe it's the fact that they know that they can control things if they just play their game, but it doesn't seem to have the intensity or the speed that other games have. And I'm not talking about hitting or fighting or anything like that, I just mean the overall sort of reckless abandon of playoff hockey. You don't really see that when the Blackhawks are on the ice.
2: I think you noticed it kind of last night that Joel Quenville is recognizing that that's the kind of game the Blackhawks are going to have to play is that fast paced game that you're talking about that they don't usually deploy. I think you saw that last night because the Blackhawks very early in the game moved away from having uh, John Hayden and Jordan Tutu on the ice. I think they both ended up with like a little bit more than five minutes of ice time. There really weren't that many power plays that would kind of justify that. So I think Joel Quenville recognized immediately that the Blackhawks' best chance in this series is to be to kind of have a quicker pace. And I think you noticed it at times last night, especially in the second period, I think you noticed it where the Blackhawks really were pushing the tempo. They were trying a lot of stretch passes last night. It really looked like the defensemen were trying to activate. I personally thought Trevor Van Riemsdyk maybe had one of his best games of the season last night. I really liked what he was doing. How, what did you think about his performance?
1: Uh, yeah, I thought he was fine. I didn't see anything that was uh, outstanding or poor. I think that what you want from a guy at that point on your roster is to just go out there and and not hurt things, and I did see that from him. What I have liked about him, though, probably from the last quarter, last third of the season, is that he's been a little more willing to activate offensively, and that shows me that he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's not playing to not make mistakes, and I think you could say this with pretty much any hockey player, and you sort of said it with the Predators, if you play not to lose – you're probably going to lose. Mm -hmm. And um, I I like the fact that Van Riemsdyk, I feel, has been a better defenseman since he's become more aggressive.
2: And I think the key, too, is you always want to see that aggression balanced out with common sense and awareness. And I think what we've seen from Van Riemsdyk in the past is when he has done that, when he's kind of started to get the offensive push going, he hasn't really done it in situations where he's not going to get burned defensively. It seems like lately... That aggression has been very controlled. It's been very he's been very adamant about making sure that he's got coverage on the back end, whether it's from another forward pulling back, or whether it's Brian Campbell skating over to provide coverage. I've definitely noticed more of an awareness to Trevor Van Reemsdyke's game in the last few weeks, I think. And you saw that again last night. He didn't give Nashville any like big opportunities to make huge jumps up the ice, to take advantage of him pinching in. And I feel like that smart aggressiveness is what you want out of Trevor Van Riemsdyk. And if you can get that out of a third pairing defenseman, I think in the long term that's a really good thing. So I think that's a great sign for the Blackhawks. that Trevor Van Riemsdyk was able to do what he was doing last night.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And with, you know, minutes and with time uh, on ice and just by playing with veteran players, like, um, brian campbell who was not great last night we'll get into that a little bit later um but just as he's been you know he's been trusted in some big moments in his career and we're looking right now he's played 158 career games um this is when a young defenseman should start to show a little bit of maturity about you know this is a, pretty much the mark of two years for him um so he should be maturing he should be getting better uh, and he is so i'm encouraged by that i'm still not Quite as in love with him as Quenville is. <laughs> well, who is? <laughs> but I don't know who is. Um, but I have liked what I've seen, and you know, me and you were two of his harshest critics early in the year, but he's certainly improved, certainly gotten better. Uh before we move on to our thoughts uh about the pairings and about the lines, I want to tell you all about Marishka's restaurant, one of our fine sponsors, six zero four Theodore Street in Crest Hill, just west of Route 53, 815-723-9371. Family owned and operated at the same location since 1933 they offer hand-cut products in their own butcher shop including their steaks burgers and the famous poor boy sandwich the greatest thing you will ever devour in your life they serve the highest quality steak seafood and chops and numerous homemade items made fresh in house including their onion rings and the double baked potatoes the icelandic cod today is good friday if you're listening on friday probably the last day well i guess it is the last day for that (laughs) linton special of the icelandic cod and the uh, amazing macaroni and cheese. It's a great meal at Marishka's, so go there today. Uh, they've got a full carryout menu, a bar with craft beer, and banquet facilities for groups of up to 110 people. So visit com or check them out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. They're open seven days a week and close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So a rare day off. For Mariska's coming up on Sunday and a well earned day off, I might add. I
2: would absolutely agree with that. Um you said you wanted to kind of get into the pairings a little bit. Um, if you'll indulge me, I want yeah. I wanna get your take first and foremost, since we're gonna go down this path. What did you think of the decision to drop Nick Schmaltz in the lineup last night and bump Tanner Caro up? I think I mentioned on Twitter that I understood the logic behind the decision and obviously Tanner Caro looked absolutely fantastic last night on that top line. The thing I worry about is that I think long-term in order for that top line to be at its most effective, I really feel like you have to have Nick Schmaltz up there. And if you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get fourth line minutes out of him. That's not his game. So he basically has to be on that top line Or I would just as soon put a guy like Dennis Rasmussen or somebody or Andrew Desjardins, if he's assuming healthy, obviously. But I would Mm -hmm. probably put a guy like that into the lineup over Schmaltz if you're not going to have him on that top line. What was your impression? What was your thought last night when Joel Quenville made that decision in the second period?
1: Um, First of all, I agree with you. If Nick Schmaltz is not going to play in the top six, there's probably no point in him being in the lineup. Um, Today in practice, Hartman and Hayden We're taking turns switching on that left wing on the top line so it looks like schmaltz might not be in the top six when game two rolls around on saturday at the moment i sort of like the move i think we saw more than anybody really uh nick schmaltz sort of struggling with the speed and this pace uh and the room of a playoff hockey game it's the first time he's you know every every cliche every old hockey player uses the cliche that the ice is smaller during the playoffs. There's not as much room to operate. Mm -hmm. Schmaltz is a guy that needs room to operate. Yes, he can create his own uh, from time to time, but in the playoffs it's different. And I think you really saw him sort of struggle with the way the game was played last night. Not to mention, Nashville's playing a trap style most of the game anyway with four guys standing at the blue line. It takes away a lot of creativity for a guy like Schmaltz. So with him struggling to sort of adapt to the pace of the game and to the style of the game... I didn't mind giving Caro a look up there. Uh, As soon as he went up there, things started sort of, you know, popping for that top line. They seem to have their best success working behind the net and cycling behind the net. That's when they had the most possession, some of their best looks to score. Um, And Caro's the sort of guy that can go back there, get down and dirty, free up some pucks, win some board battles. And for all of Nick Schmaltz's skill, that's not one of the things he does well. So when Schmaltz is on that line, it makes you know, Taves becomes more of a guy who's going to have to go do some dirty work Um, with Caro doing it with panic that leaves Taves as sort of the top offensive option. So uh, I see both sides of it, but I do think you're right. I think Schmaltz should stay in the lineup. And of course, if he does, he needs to be in the top six. I think given another game to just sort of catch his breath, realize what's happening around him, I think he'll be fine. I'm not overly concerned. Um, I got it at the time, but I would like to see as the series goes on him to stay in the top six. Well, I think the only and technically the top three, I guess.
2: Sorry. The only way that I really think you're gonna get used to the pace of a playoff game is to play in a playoff game. And Joel yeah. Joel Quinville, I think, only used Nick for about four and a half minutes, I think, before he dropped him to the bottom six last night. Does that sound about right to you? Um uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just I don't know if that's enough time. And I get completely what you're saying, that he needs more space to kind of do what he does. At the same time, what I would maybe like to see Joel do, and this is just a suggestion, based on the fact that their power play last night looked just god-awful. And it has for the last several games. I pointed out in my game preview. Well,
1: it helps in the power play when you move. Exactly. Just to say,
2: like, move your feet. And and this is, this is the point I'm driving at, is that they were two of their last 28 going into the playoffs on the power play. That's pretty damn bad. And, they, and they, looked aw- they looked even worse than that last night. They looked like a team that hadn't scored on the power play in two weeks. They looked like a high school senior with acne issues trying to score on prom night. They just did not have any idea what they were doing. And I honestly feel like if you're going to keep Nick Schmaltz in this lineup, he needs to play a more prominent role on that power play when there is more space on the ice and when his quickness and when his hands are going to be worth the most. I would love to see him get extended looks on the power play if you're going to keep him in the lineup because you have to do something. That power play, if it's going to produce like that, the Blackhawks are in huge trouble. They've got to take advantage when they've got that space on the ice when Nashville can't just stack four guys at the blue line. They can't really do that when they're shorthanded. They've got to do something about that, and I think that might be where Nick Schmaltz finds his kind of in back into the lineup and back into the mix.
1: you're totally right I mean uh if you've got a guy you're going to limit at even strength that's going to be in the lineup you've got to have him contributing where he can and that is on the power play you're absolutely right about that uh I'm I I don't know it's frustrating and, and I'm trying to not fall into like the meatball trap but there was so little urgency from the Blackhawks last night in so many aspects of the game I get you've been there before I get You've been through the wards. you've got all this experience, that's all fine and good. But teams are not gonna wait for you to show up in the playoffs, okay? Um the the first period, they were sleepwalking. Refusing to adjust to uh the trap, just trying to carry you're not gonna skate through four defensemen at a blue line for a playoff team, for a Stanley Cup contender. It's not gonna happen. It's just not. And the and the I, I mean, there was a point during the power play, I believe it was in the third period, where Duncan Keith was um, in the neutral zone, just standing there with the puck. And everyone's just sort of waiting, like, can you... Is someone going to move forward <laughs> with the puck? Please, I, I, and again, I don't want to fall into this meatball zone, but really, anyone who watched that game, who's watched hockey in the past, I've not seen a good power play look like that. <laughs> yeah. Where the quarterback of the power play is standing still, waiting for guys to start to cycle behind him. Get moving, move your feet you've got the man advantage against a team that's trapping you this is your chance to score they're treating it like a five on three power play where they're looking for that one perfect shot playoff goals are not pretty they're just not never you've got to get the puck on net have it hit someone on the butt and go in that's how it works and i don't care how much skill they have and all that all that stuff it's totally true of course but it's a different game in the playoffs, and they've got to show a willingness to do it, and they can't wait until it's too late to do it again. They waited last year till it was too late. They still almost overcame it, but they fell short. Had they woken up for game one, game two against the Blues, maybe they win the Stanley Cup again. They can't let these slow starts uh, crush them like they did. And again, last night it was just a period. So I'm, it wasn't a whole game or two games like it was last year. Right. So hopefully uh, when game two starts on Saturday – uh, they can get their asses moving a little bit and generating some offense with some urgency. It's just it was very a very very frustrating game to watch last night.
2: Did you know who really made? I thought some good adjustments going into the second period in the way that he was approaching zone entries and the way that he was approaching scoring opportunities it was Artemi Panarin. Actually, did some really interesting stuff yeah. last night. He was one of the few guys who kind of realized somewhat early in the game, and then more so as you kind of got into the flow of it in the second and third period he realized that just carrying the puck into the zone wasn't going to cut it against Nashville, what they were doing in the neutral zone and in the defensive zone. He started dumping the puck in and going and getting it and creating scoring opportunities and possessions way earlier than it seemed like anybody else did. And for a second-year guy to be able to make that kind of an adjustment, and especially a guy that you and I have criticized a little bit for being kind of a one-trick pony, especially on the power play where he's just kind of waiting for the puck to get to him in the faceoff dot so he can rip off that one timer. I felt like that was a very interesting wrinkle that he threw into his game last night. And he did it at both even strength and on the power play. And I kind of noticed on the power play especially, he was one of the few guys that was actually moving into kind of soft areas of the ice to kind of try to find room to work with. And it Mm -hmm. seemed like if everybody else had kind of taken his lead, they would have done a better job. I got to give Artemi Panarin credit. I thought he actually played a really smart game last night, even though the stat line may not necessarily reflect it. The eye test really did to me, and he was one of the few guys on offense that really stood out to me.
1: Well, there was another guy I thought had a pretty good game, uh, but was clearly dealing with the rust of not playing in a month, and that's Artem Anisimov, who had a lot of chances that he just kind of couldn't figure out how to get. Because you could tell that, man, taking a month off of hockey is tough especially coming back and starting to play in the playoffs. But there were the puck found him a lot, and he would either sort of you know heal it or uh, whiff on it or whatever. Uh, I think the ice was pretty crappy last night, too, from what I can oh, tell. Oh, God, yes. It was awful. A lot of, yeah, uncharacteristic uh, you know, hopping over the blue line, hopping over sticks that we're not used to seeing from the Blackhawks or, quite frankly, the Predators. We saw it for both teams. So uh, the United Center is known for its trash ice. Hopefully it wasn't a huge factor last night, but it, it seemed to be to me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack, and and uh, we could spend four hours discussing one playoff game. It doesn't, it's not really going to solve anything. Um, like we said when we started, I know we're sort of ranting here and and getting pissed off about um, some of the small things that that annoyed us last night. But I think, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I I still feel very good about their chances in this series and beyond. It's just there's some things that have become a trend over the last few playoff seasons that have become. Very frustrating and very hard to understand and explain.
2: I think our listeners are going to give us a little bit of credit here. I really don't feel like we're overreacting to anything. I don't really feel like we're like naysaying or, oh, we're so doomed or whatever. The things that I think we're pointing out are pretty obvious, easy, strategic decisions to potentially make. I think we're just kind of laying out a roadmap for what we think comes next. I feel like we're honest. This is going to sound silly, so please pardon me as I say this. I feel like we're kind of approaching this like the players are, where game one happened. What can you learn from game one? Game two is next. We're just kind of matter-of-factly laying out strategic changes that they need to make. I, I, I don't feel like this is overreacting at all. I think we're on We're honestly doing what we, I, I guess, as a hockey podcaster, are supposed to do. We're just kind of analyzing and moving forward. I don't feel like there's a lot of angry second-guessing. I don't feel like there's a lot of meatballishness. Jay, I hate to tell you this. I feel like we're being a really responsible and smart hockey podcast right now. I don't know how oh, I feel God. about it.
1: What has happened to us? Yeah,
2: we, we changed, man. What? We sold out.
1: Where did we lose our way? <laughs> it's those damn uh, Scott Powers and Brian Hedgers influence. Ooh,
2: those guys rubbed off on us. That clearly is Whoa. what happened.
1: Take it easy. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) That did not happen to me. Well, Um, well,
2: Hedger was was getting handsy, as you guys all heard on the podcast. Yeah,
1: he was pounding the table, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have no good segue to Triple Threat Sports right now, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Triple Threat Sports, as you know, is the best place in the area to get your NHL jerseys lettered. But did you know they're also the best place to go if your team needs jerseys? Whether you're an elite travel, high school, or a college program that needs outfit hundreds of kids, or if you're a beer and pizza league team with 12 players, Triple Threat can put you in pro-quality jerseys at pricing you can afford. Triple Threat Sports can work with you on every aspect of the job. Logo design, fitting, apparel for off-ice, you name it. And you don't have to be a hockey player to wear uniforms in Triple Threat. They can get uniforms and apparel for all sports. Baseball, softball, football, lacrosse, and, no, and more. Not and no, and more. So, for more info, call Chris at 708 478 6090. That's 708 478 6090. Or email him for more info at Chris at triple com. Triple threat sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. All right. Uh, now that we've done that, um, are you making any lineup changes in game two?
2: That's a tremendous question. But before I we transition completely away from the. Uh from the Triple Threat Sports, the Jersey thing, I just wanted to Mm -hmm. point out that I'm probably going to be playing 16-inch softball in Chicago this summer. And if you guys are ever... I'll I'll make sure to mention this when I'm actually going to do it in case anybody's in need of, like, a dose of comedy. Because I've never played 16-inch before, so it should be quite hilarious.
1: I'm looking forward to seeing that. I was thinking about joining a softball league in Homewood this year, but I think I'll wait till next spring um 60 in softball I, I it's so intense like out in mount greenwood in beverly and I, I was gonna play with my cousins one year and i was just like first of all i was playing in the score league too and it was just too much of a time commitment mm-hmm. but those guys played a different level of intensity and i'm just like i just want to go and recreate i just want to i just want <laughs> you
2: know to go and drink beer man that's kind of what i'm going for it I, i'm sure you you know frank the uh hockey night podcast maven or f- sure. former Hockey Night podcast maven, he's actually the one who invited me to play for the team. So God knows hmm. that there will be plenty of Malor and booze happening if I end up doing this. So,
1: It's not Malor, it's Malort.
2: I, I, why do I say Malor, man?
1: Because you're a dork. It's not right. Well, it's that, Malort. Well, that,
2: that goes without saying, man.
1: <laughs> Did you see, I saw a video online last week of People from other countries trying Malort. Yes, it was fantastic. They, oh, they always that are. is wretched. Oh dear God! <laughs> <laughs> I was cracking up in the train like a weirdo.
2: Well, um, it, you fit I know right we got oh then.
1: yeah exactly. Well, I know we've got some more hockey stuff to talk about. But you saw the Star Wars trailer, yes? Yes, I did. Your thoughts?
2: I, you know, I I'm not going to be any more excited for the movie than I am already. It was a really awesome trailer, and I think they nailed it. I just wonder, I'm very curious where they're going with this, man. Because Episode 7, like, the more you watch it, the more you realize it kind of really does rehash a lot of the stuff that happened at Episodes 4 through 6. Like, it just kind of mm-hmm. repackages it a little bit. You, yeah, you know, I
1: think we're getting a total 180 here. It
2: seems like it. And that's, I think, <laughs> I think that's what really kind of stood out to the tra- in the trailer. I really feel like this is going to go in a different direction now. And like you said, I, I really do... I'm I'm very intrigued after seeing the trailer. I was already very excited for the movie. The trailer did nothing to dampen my enthusiasm.
1: There's a lot of red around this particular episode. If you notice, the Star Wars—I guess you'd call it like the silhouette logo, like the classic Star Wars logo—the first thing you see after a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, for the first time, it's a different color. It's usually yellow. It's red this time. And it's been red ever since they announced the name of the movie. And if you saw the poster today of Rey standing holding up the lightsaber like the original Star Wars poster with a split image of her and Luke and that's all in red too. I think there's going to be a heel turn coming up here. I really do. I think either Luke is going to be evil or something's going to happen to Rey and she's going to become like an evil Jedi or something. But um, something ominous is happening and I'm really excited about it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I just hope that with ray it's nothing too crazy just based on how um little girls like your daughter have kind of identified with her
1: i you know what i was thinking about that today like man if ray becomes evil how am i gonna explain that to my daughter uh i think that's pretty unlikely i think you might see luke uh, turn a little evil but ah, who knows i don't know all right those sky those skywalker
2: Skywalker boys are just completely incapable of you know resisting the
1: dark side apparently well there's they're super inbred. Oh, I mean, when you think about it, God. Like, they all know each other. They're all cousins, and and like he's making out with his sister. And like, come on, they're just they're space hillbillies. That's what the <laughs> skywalkers are. They're space hillbillies. It's all in marrying and just gross. Just knock it off. Like the Find, pol- There's a you have access to an entire galaxy and other races and and total uh you know different alien races. Go make out with them hooking up with your cousins you weirdos
2: <laughs>
1: all right uh since we're not doing emails today just because it's a special playoff edition uh, i want to tell you guys about the black oak a great addition to the south suburbs in oakland a full service restaurant and tavern located at ninety-six thirty south pulaski they serve breakfast lunch and dinner with hours from 7 a.m to 2 a.m seven days a week they've got the awesome burgers with the blend of beef brisket beef chuck and short rib and a steak sandwich made from australian wagyu sirloin You will love every bite. They will be your Blackhawks playoff headquarters uh, throughout. So make sure you stop by the Black Oak for a great meal and stay for the atmosphere as well. Contact them at 708-572-4500 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Black Oak Tavern. The Black Oak, the South Suburb's finest casual upscale dining. So I asked you if you're going to make any changes to the lineup. Let's wrap it up with our thoughts on that. And then we'll be back uh, probably after game two or three with a new episode.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing we're going to be podcasting a lot, you know, based on the fact that our listeners have been so charitable and paying for all the equipment. And I I love the picture you posted the other day on uh, our Twitter account of the lap, like the computers and the mics and all that. And absolutely true that none of this would be possible without listeners. So as always, we thank you guys for donating to our Patreon site and allowing us the opportunities to do those kinds of podcasts. And I have to say that that podcast with Brian, with Brian and with Scott, I thought was probably one of our best, if not our best ever. So
1: it was great. And it was a lot of fun to make too. And it sounded outstanding. And again, that's all because we're able to set up this equipment in a conference room in an office and it has studio quality to it. So you guys have bought us a portable studio. We couldn't be more thankful. And if you want to help us out, patreon.com slash pod.
2: And now we will get into the hockey that you have donated money to here. So I, I, I think that for me, the Blackhawks line changes. I think their defensive pairings worked for the most part. I would keep yeah. I would keep those intact honestly. I wouldn't you know draw in Forsling or um, Kempney. I think that's fine the six that they have right now. I would say the one thing I'm intrigued by would be potentially putting Dennis Rasmussen into the lineup over Jordan Tutu. That, not to say Jordan Tutu played poorly. I don't think he did. I think the only thing I'd be curious about is I think with Rasmussen, you give your lineup a little bit more versatility if Joel Quenville wants to continue like the experiments of guys like Tanner Caro getting bumped up. And it, it gives you just another guy that you can plug in on either the penalty kill or if you need a center on the bottom six or whatever, I'd be curious to see if maybe he wants to make like kind of an adjustment like that, especially if he's going to bump Ryan Hartman or John Hayden up in the lineup. I feel like adding a guy like Rasmussen with the versatility that he has, I think might be a good idea.
1: I like that idea very much. And I thought Jordan Tutu was one of the few Hawks in the first period that did a damn thing at all. Um, But then from there on out, he became pretty much a non-factor um, as expected. Uh, so, yeah, Rasmussen has shown a lot this year, and I don't know what's happened over the last month, month and a half to get him in Q's doghouse, but I really like the development I saw from him this year. Um, and, again, a guy that can play center, play wing, play PK, play power play, anything you need from ta- from uh, Dennis Rasmussen, you get. So I'd welcome him back in the lineup. As for the D pairings, uh, I've seen enough of Seabrook and Oduya. I'm sorry, man. Uh, I get it. You want to have that top shutdown pair. But then your bottom four are just left floundering. And we know Seabrook has regressed. We've talked about it for two years now. Johnny Oduya is not the same guy he was here in 2015. Um, I don't like those two together. I want Keith and Seabrook back, and I want Jalmerson and Oduya back. And Quenville always talks about balance. He always talks about balance among his lines. He should have it among his pairs too, and right now he doesn't have it.
2: Do you think any, do You think that has anything to do with the fact that he's not wanting Nick Jalmerson to have to readjust to playing the left point again? Because he, he has said – that he prefers. If he's going to be playing on a side, he wants to stay on that side.
1: Yeah, that could be part of it. I just, it's the playoffs, man. And sometimes you got to do some things you're uncomfortable with. And they've had success with him there before. I know uh, it's not his ideal. I know it's not what he wants to do, but uh, if it means another Stanley cup, I think, you know, and of course it's not that simple, but um, I think it's something they should consider because see, we're is just not working. It's just not, and I don't know if putting Seabrook with Campbell is going to make it any better, or I don't know how else you mix it up aside from uniting Seabrook and Keith. Um, but, I, you know, I, it seems like this is what Q's got. This is what he's going to go with. Um, okay, it's fine. I, I think they can still win with it. I just, man, that pairing has become a bit of a detriment. They were killed in possession yesterday. Yeah, they really were. I mean, uh, let's see, uh, Brent Seabrook uh was oh he was uh 56 course yeah I'm, i think i'm wrong about this yeah 55 for um Oduya, but i'm looking at the relative to the team and he was 13 percent below relative that seabrook and 15 percent below for odia so yep. i think that's maybe just because the team was so high overall that that number can be misleading okay, but. yeah
2: keith and jomerson were comical how high their course he was yesterday
1: yeah, let's see. Keith was uh, a 70. Oh, my God. 70, like in the
2: seventy nine. 79
1: 70s, yeah. uh, Corsi, 4 percentage. Uh, 23 to 6, chances for and against. That's bonkers. Uh Erson, 21 and 5. That's 80% Corsi. For, a, almost 81% For the pairing Corsi that's
2: supposed to be your shutdown pairing to do that is insane to me. Yeah,
1: That's pretty bad. So there were let's see. How many guys were below 50? We've got Nick Schmaltz was a 30 he was a four dog. chances, four, nine against. Uh, Jordan Tutu was five, four, six against for 45%. And I think the only other one is John Hayden. Yeah, he was uh, three, four, six against. That's 33%. So um, aside from that, everyone was well over 50%. Uh, with with Nicholas Jomerson at a ridiculous 81% course last night. I can't believe it So happened. when you start to panic about the series, take a look at that, and I think you're going to feel a little bit better.
2: Again, if if Nashville wants to continue playing that conservative style of hockey that they played in game one, the Blackhawks will take that every day because I think that benefits them to no end being able to just attack and attack and attack and not have to worry about Nashville showing the kind of counterpunch that they've shown in the past. That did not look like regular season Nashville to me. That looked like, no. that looks very different. That looked very odd. It was, I, I kind of don't blame the Blackhawks almost for getting off to such a slow start because it was so difficult to, it was like jarring. It was like, wait a minute, what team am I watching right now? <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully game two is a little more entertaining, a little more fast-paced, and the Blackhawks come out on top because if they get down 2-0, um, of course, if there's any team that can come back down 2 nothing or 3-0, it's the Hawks. But against a stifling defensive team like Nashville, that's going to be really, really tough. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, we'll be watching every minute of the game. Um, post-games, I will do my best to jump on Facebook Live Uh, like I did last night on the score 670 the scores Facebook page for about 20 30 minutes take your questions there Um, hopefully as the playoffs go on I'll get on the air at the score a little bit maybe my partner will join me that's a possibility I'm
2: up at the tower Uh, every day man let just let Mitch know I'll come on over I'll I'll yell about hockey with you with the good people of Chicago
1: that would be great fun but until we talk to you next time James can you do one Sunday night on Easter night
2: I believe I can manage that yeah
1: all right well let's we'll discuss off the air uh, tomorrow and figure it out but hopefully we'll have another podcast for you this weekend but thanks for listening to this one the game one edition of the madhouse chicago hockey podcast it has been brought to you by triple threat sports for all your team outfitting needs call chris at 708-478-6090 the black oak in Oklahoma, the south suburbs finest casual upscale dining and mariska's and crest hill family owned and operated since 1933 everybody have a great weekend uh for those of you catholics like me Have a wonderful Easter, uh, and we will talk to you hopefully Sunday. Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak and the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mm. And then a fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mm-mm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. Bye, 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 bye. I participate in McDonald's. A different future starts with you.